Perhaps I was talking when I should have been listening. No matter what happens, you've got to hang on. Johnny, relax. Now you give him everything he wants, you understand? Now let's see what happens when we mix these two elements together. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you are now listening to the Relentless College Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome back to the Relentless College Entrepreneur Podcast. I know I haven't posted a episode in a while and I said I was going to end it, but there's definitely going to be some episodes that come out every now and then that I just can't stop myself because I love to book so much or I, I gain so much knowledge going to an event or whatever it may be. There's still going to be episodes being posted and I recently finished a book called Extreme Ownership, which is what we'll be talking about today by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Leif Babin, I believe. L-E-I-F Babin. Really good, really good book, honestly, in my top five. So that's why I had to come on the podcast and explain why it was such an amazing book and go over it and summarize it. So I'm going to be trying to do a shorter podcast episodes uh, from now on because first, it saves me time, and two, I'm going to get right to the point and give you guys the meat of the books and the main takeaways. So first and foremost, there are no bad teams. There's only bad leaders. There was a ex specific example in the book. So Jocko was a Navy SEAL commander, and he was, uh, at the time in this example, he was a, uh, a, sar a drill sergeant, I believe, and he was training guys, and there was a boat. There was boat crews, and they had to do this competition, so to say, like this race and time back and forth. And so the first place team had really outstanding people that were really good at physical training. So they always placed first. And then the team that always placed last in the boat team was a team that whose leader wasn't the best. And the team didn't, they weren't the biggest, they weren't the best physically. And Jocko had the idea to switch the first place team leader to the worst team and then change the worst team leader to the best team. So by doing this switch, just the leaders of the boat crew, what's amazing is the last place placed first every time under that leadership of the really good Navy SEAL. And when, because they were so, the, the best team that was the best team, boat team was really physical they placed second every time but they never placed first again and it was the worst team that placed first that really gets you thinking at the beginning of the book when he talks about there's no bad teams only bad leaders because with new leadership this guy motivated his team told them what had to be done and directed them really well and they ended up placing first every single time and there's a lot to learn within that because not all leaders are good leaders, and sometimes they hold you back. So when you refuse to take responsibility, you fail your mission. And before I get any deeper, I want to explain, this is Navy SEAL, yes, type of stuff, and a lot of the training that gets talked, but it's translated into business and other industries as well, because no matter what industry you're in, if you're a doctor, you're you're a lead, you have assistance, or if you are sales team, you, you might be eventually a leader, and even if you aren't a leader, it's important understanding this, so when 
you can talk to your leader and when they avoid things they're like it's your fault it's your fault sometimes yeah absolutely but at the end of the day they hired you and maybe they didn't tell you everything that needed to be done and it was really their fault the main message of this overall book is if you think that someone else is the problem take a good hard look in the mirror because most of the time you just become irrational to the belief that everyone else is doing something wrong and you're not at all and when you look in the mirror whatever it may be in life it could be your personal life if you have a roommate or a friend or a relationship and you're like what's going wrong with this like I don't understand take a good hard look in the mirror and realize that like think truly think about it like what am I it, how am I responsible to this? And it is when you take responsibility for failures or things that happen wrong is that you will have extreme ownership. That's how you conquer that. So within the main point, which is leading a team to success means taking responsibility for each and every one of its failures. Everyone in the team, if, if a team fails, everyone fails. It's not the leader. It's not just everyone in it. Every everyone, the leader and the team themselves as a whole fail. And the SEAL units that perform the best in training are led by the commanders who are readily to take blame. And they seek constructive criticism and take detailed notes on how to improve and those leaders become better. When leaders fail to take responsibility, the consequences can be far reaching. For instance, in Williams. Uh, experience when a poor Navy SEAL leader blames everyone but himself that bad attitude is passed on to his subordinates which is his team who then do the same so this results in becoming ineffective and incapable of carrying out the team's plans and having success and such a team that makes makes execution and passes the buck as he said instead of adjusting to and solving problems that inevitably arise by taking the same t token the subordinates of the leaders who take responsibility emulate the behavior of themselves as a result accountability and intermissive spread all through down the chain of command. So when a leader takes, what that's basically saying, because I know it was kind of wordy and a lot of bigger words, so to say, when a leader takes responsibility and he says, I failed this, the, uh, it goes down the chain of command. And that's within every organization. That's a big, big thing that I want to keep on establishing and pinpointing is that this, although in Navy SEAL uh, training and life that Jocko Willing and uh, Leaf had, were that the fact that it gets translated this whole book into business really well and a, a lot of other industries so it's it's very good book for everyone that's listening because eventually we'll grow up and we'll be a leader of a team of ourselves the next point is to successfully execute your mission understand its importance is very important and he established this a lot in the book jocko was to in order to do it successfully, you have to understand the importance that, especially if you're the leader, because if the leader doesn't establish and understand the importance and it gets confusing, it gets pushed down the chain of uh, hierarchy 
uh, for like in a company of anything, it's if the leader doesn't understand, then it gets faded away and doesn't become as important. But when everyone is completely understanding on it, then it, it's accomplished way better, that mission, that project, that goal, whatever it may be, wherever you're working. So you ha it's so important for everyone to understand. And the thing about this book was that what was amazing is there was many times that Jocko, because now he owns like a company, I believe, and he gets hired by companies to like really go in and find problems. And he said a lot of the times like the leaders or of the department don't understand the importance or don't understand why it's being done. It's very important to understand why something is being done because say there's a pay cut and then, but there's a higher commission now. Well, why is that being done? So you can work harder, like what all is happening? So if it gets really confusing, if you don't at all understand it, and if you don't understand it, you have to take extreme ownership and go to your boss or your team lead, whatever it is, and say, hey, I don't understand it. Or if you are the team lead, going to the person that's even above you, be like, hey, I don't even understand this. And the thing that he said about it was making the plan as simple as possible. So the goal, project, whatever it may be, or, you know, a, like a, a salary cut, whatever it may be, to clearly explain to the employees or other people that are working under you or above you, like the people above you to clearly understand what is going on and why it's being done in the simplest manner as form. Because he went in, Jocko, to this company, it was like a medical company, and he was like, a lot of people were like, I don't understand why we're getting a, a, a pay cut and they're laying off people. And then they explained it and they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then they were able to work, work way more effectively because they understood how the payment worked now, the salary and the commission. So they're able to work harder because when the employees at that time were like, I don't even understand, like last paycheck, I got paid a lot more on commission and this I didn't, but I got more sales this time. And then they're like, it's all down to a science and everything and like this calculation. And then Jocko was like, no, you are making this way more complex on the employees and you have to make it super simple. So they make it dummy simple for them to understand. And it's not that they can't comprehend. It's just the fact that the more complex you make something, the more confusing and the more fogginess it can create if you make it super complex. So it's very important to make it as dumb, simple as possible. Another thing was treat your allies as a support network, not as competition. So when you have a coworker and you have competition, it's kind of an ego check. And that's a big thing he talked about in this chapter was that check your ego because sometimes when you're you put your ego on the line rather than the team on the line you you're doing when you do something just purely out of your ego it ends up hurting the team because you're trying to look good when not every time you're going to look good when something bad happens and you have to be able to take that extreme ownership that we're talking about when things go wrong and some people with extreme ego will be like no it's their fault it's their problem that and it's like no look in the mirror look in that mirror and think to yourself if you're a leader why this happened because there is some fogginess, miscommunication, something that went wrong, 
and you can blame it on them not working hard, whatever it may be, but at the end of the day, you hired them. Even if you didn't hire them, maybe you're the problem. Maybe you're not giving them enough motivation, and that's why it's so important to have a good team lead that's able to take criticism, uh, constructive cr criticism, and able to work better and take notes from that and come back even better for his team, his or her team. And that is in of itself super important. So you shouldn't be competing against a team because if, whoever is the best, say you have a project and you're competing against another department to get this project and you get a salary bump if your department gets it. Well, at the end of the day, are you really looking, are you being selfish? Because at the end of the day, the company picks the best person for that project. And that's why it's important to take constructive criticism, take notes and become better because maybe the next time that opportunity comes, even if you lost, you end up performing way better. And that in of itself, like I've said, and I want to establish again, is super important to take constructive criticism. And if you aren't given it and you fail at something to go to someone that maybe was like, you didn't get the project and say, Hey, what could I do better next time? I do that all the time and it's helped me grow exponentially. That, if you have a one takeaway, is ask people for constructive criticism because we don't know who or how we really are to other people until other people tell us because we might put on a mask and think that we're one person and then other people think we're a completely different person. So it's very important to do that. Another thing was to remain effective under pressure by setting clear priorities and acting upon them. So the simplest way is to prioritize and execute. Know what's important, why it's important, underline that why, why it's important, and execute it. Don't sit there and keep on talking about it too much. There's only so much planning you can do before you have to execute and you take that extreme ownership, especially when you fail. That that's why this book is so amazing it, and it's really opened my eyes because like I I sit back and now I can look myself in the mirror and be like my problems are my problems it wasn't because this person or that person and I'm going to give an example real quick in my life and how I went about it that just happened this week I have a construction project that's due, a pretty big project. It's called the Glick Center, and it was being built at Ball State University, and we have to make an entire schedule, an entire estimate of it. I have a huge sheet that just, uh, it's on a legal size paper, so it's 14 inches by 8.5 inches. It's a huge sheet, and I have two papers of them, and the schedule goes on two of these huge sheets, and I knew it was going to take a lot of work, and the estimating as well, and it's worth a lot of points. And I told my professor, there's two labs. One that's always closed because I have class during the times that the lab's open. And the other one is for CAP students. And I'm not a CAP student. I'm minoring in construction management. So I'm not allowed in that room. But I snuck in that room because I had to get this project done. And I tried to tell my professor this. I'm like, hey, I'm running into a problem. I have to get this done. I have a business plan. I'm already stressing. So I really need to get this done. He kind of said and he's super nice about it he was just like not my problem and again extreme ownership I wish he would have taken a little bit more ownership on what he did but I can only control what I can do and I told him and I let him know constructive criticism on why it was important for me to get this done but anyways I get kicked out of the lab because the department head chair I think came in or I was walking out 
get to get water or something. And she was like, are you cap? And I was like, no, I'm not a cap student. And I tried to explain to her that, uh, this schedule I need to get done and everything like that. And I'm like, the other labs closed. I'm trying to get this done. She said, you're not a cap student. You can't be in. And I got super upset and, uh, not at her, but when I was going back to my car, when I got kicked out, cause I was trying to finish it then and there, I was like, oh my gosh, why, why, why would she do this? Like, I'm not, I'm not annoying anyone. The group that was working where I was working said, I'm completely fine. I wasn't annoying anyone. I didn't understand. And they didn't tell me exactly why the cap, it was only cap students. And I get it now because they have to work and they have their own section, their own cubicle that has this software and programming system. But I had to use that and the team said it was completely fine. So I didn't understand and I had to take extreme ownership in that experience. And I was like, you know what? I could have used a different project schedule, planning schedule, but at the same time, I only know this project schedule. And it's when I swift, swift, when I switch to a different software, I'm unable to, I have to relearn the entire software. So I'm like, I want to stick with P6, Premiere 6. And when I'm doing my construction schedule, that gets really complicated and I learned this software, so I have to commit to it. And I was taking extreme ownership and I'm like, I just have to commit to lab hours and try my best and keep on coming back and getting it done and doing better and better. So I took extreme ownership in that and I emailed my professor back. It was a pretty bad email because I, I definitely acted on character, not character, in the moment and I was heated in the moment and I was like, blah, blah, blah. I sent him a, of like a couple paragraphs, why it's important to him and I was clearly explaining to him and he was like listen understand but from the get-go you were told you were allowed to use any software and you can use software on your computer but I only know p6 and I had to take extreme ownership I could have gone and done that but so what I'm getting at with this is that there's so many things that you can take extreme ownership especially in college because a lot of college people listen to this but in jobs too as well that you have to own up to your problems and it's not other people's problems and excuse my language, but no one owes you shit. And that's a good thing to go by because no one owes you anything. And if you think they do, they don't. And it's taking extreme ownership when you're able to execute and perform your best. And that's what's important. And this extreme ownership can be implemented into anything, projects in school, homework assignments in school. Oh, you didn't turn it in on time? Well, you could have done it. Well, you got sick or whatever. Well, you could have done it uh, a couple days ago when I gave it to you, but you decided not to. So there's a lot of things. Now, there are excuses that are like your family member passes away and you couldn't finish an assignment even when it was given. And that, that's, an, that's, that's a fair excuse. There's some that are really fair, but at the same time, some that you think are reasonable aren't always reasonable. So in any given situation, begin by evaluating your highest priorities. Once you've done this, simply and concisely communicate this priority to your team or make sure your team lead is explaining it to you. And if you don't, ask questions. Then seek input from the team, the key leaders around you on how to solve this problem at hand. And finally, focus on your team's resources on executing this plan. After that, you can move to your next priority and repeat the process. But remember that as priorities shift, you need to be sure to communicate the change to your team. Again, simply and concisely going to your team and letting them know. 
Planning for success means comprehensively identifying and mitigating risks ahead of time. So pre-planning, that was another thing he talked about in understanding all the things that go around you. And I'm not going to get into detail. There was uh, explicit, explicit, there were specific events that he told that he was running missions on and that he failed and ended up getting, he, he blames it on himself for getting a guy killed because he didn't see all the plans throughout. Now, I will say, I, I disagree, and it's kind of hard to disagree from with a Navy SEAL guy explaining this in his book. You can't see every single thing that comes your way. You can't see that a family member was going to pass away. You can't see that your dog was going to pass away. You couldn't see that your friend went into a super deep per- uh, depression and really needs your help. There's some things that are unforeseeable, and I think he explains it a little bit, but he talks a lot of about the things that you can see and you need to think hard about the things you can't see as well, but there's unexplainable things that you can't, that just happen, and there's no way that you could have predicted them, but at the same time, you can pre-plan a lot, but again, not pre-planning to the point where like you were just writing a research project But in some cases, you do need to plan to that extent. Like in my business, I need to plan and have everything set in stone to make sure that it works and not just second guessing myself when it when I do the action. And I'm like, wait, how the hell do I do this? Like, what was I saying I was going to market? How how am I going to get my customer? Who's my target market? All this different stuff. Like I, I, I truly believe you can't, you don't know your target market until you go to the market because you can guess and you can get all these statistics and think it's this person. And then it becomes this completely different person. And I've been told that by many CEOs. So another point was instead of resenting interference by your superiors, make sure you are giving them information they need. So you need to be clear and transparent like, hey, I don't understand this. My team doesn't understand this. I think it's very important to explain the why so we all understand why we're doing this, a salary cut, a a new project, when the other one was successful, why are we doing this? And maybe when you ask them why and they don't know the why, they'll be like, you know, I don't know why. And that's something that we should figure out and maybe we don't need to do this. So that's why it's important to ask questions. I'm always that annoying person in class, but I'm like, I'm always going to get my money's worth for going to class and spending this money to go to college. So I'm always annoying the teacher probably uh, and having a good argument or not necessarily an argument or a good side, like in construction, my construction classes, I'm always asking questions and it's related to business. Well, if you do this, how does that affect your net operating income? If you do this, how does it affect your reputation? How do you blah, 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 blah. And they're more talking about the management and scheduling and the estimating and all that stuff. But I'm bringing the business perspective and I'm always asking questions to understand that why. So I'm able to grow more and understand more, which is why you should, if you're in college right now, always be asking questions. Even if you're annoying, I'm so annoying. People probably hate me because I'm annoying. What I learned from the speaker that I was at the CEO conference is that one third of the audience usually it really likes you. Another third hates you. They really dislike you. And then another third are neutral. They're like, ah, do I like this guy? Do I not like this guy? And that's why you become vulnerable. Ask questions, take your ownership. Because if you don't ask those questions, you do bad on that exam or the quiz or an assignment. It's because you didn't ask questions. You didn't go to your teacher's hours. You need to take extreme ownership. If you're failing a class, 
and make sure you're using your resources going after your teachers because it's not their problem it's your problem and that's why you need to take extreme ownership especially in your classes because once you get to the real world and start working at a job if you don't take responsibility and you don't understand things then tough luck you're probably going to end up getting fired because you weren't performing that well and you're like well they never told me well it's your fault because you could have gone toward and asked them even though it is their fault at uh, a certain point like they didn't tell you if you don't understand you need to take extreme ownership and let them know you don't understand and them to explain the why this is happening so in final summary as a leader whether in the military or business context you need to take total ownership of your team and its work doing so means bearing responsibility for your team's successes as well as its failures Drafting detailed plans that account for risks and maintaining tight lines of communication in all directions. And some actionable advice is to decentralize command for effective management. As a general rule, people can't effectively manage more than six to 10 people directly. Nonetheless, many business leaders manage a much bigger team. Here, the Navy SEAL management uh, principles can help. First, Break your team down into sub-teams containing no more than four to five people, each with a des designated leader. Make sure that the leader, these leaders understand the larger team's overall mission as well as its ultimate goal. Then empower your junior, junior leaders to make decisions that help attain that goal on their own. This structure functions well without overwhelming you personally. That's going to be wrapping up this podcast episode. I really like this. I think you have to believe in what's being done. And you have to take extreme ownership, extreme, extreme ownership in everything that you do. And look yourself in the mirror every time you think someone else is doing something wrong. Because they probably don't know. And you need to take that ownership and let them know, I don't understand. And I need to know the why so I can believe in this project assignment or work stuff that we're doing or this price cut that we're doing I need to believe in this so I can sell it or that I can really work and be efficient and truly believe in your system you have to believe in it and that's why you need to figure out the why and then plan be simple in your plans so everyone know knows it and it's communicated effectively and that's what's really important to communicate and make sure everyone's on the same page and to prioritize and execute on what you do there are no bad teams only bad leaders and sometimes even if you're just an employee and you're not a leader you need to take extreme ownership and go to your leader and tell them hey i don't understand this tell me the why and like why we should care and maybe I'll understand better. And if they make it complex, then you got to let them know and take extreme ownership. Hey, it's a little complex. Can you simplify it? And if they're like, oh, blah, 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 maybe you need to talk to someone higher and get them figured out on your team lead. Check your ego, leave it at the door, be your best, and take extreme ownership. This has been the Relentless College Entrepreneur Podcast. Catch you guys next time.